as my wife and I uh, enjoyed uh, dinner in your fair city last evening and stood outside the hotel that we're living in and looked up at that beautiful Alabama sky. I just had to thank God for the opportunity to be here. I told many of you in Bible class this morning, the real Christians rather, that were here this morning for Bible class. Um, that my wife and I will probably be more blessed and more encouraged than you can ever imagine. And when Doug uh, called us last year to extend the invitation to be here with you, and he told me then that they were going to start praying about this very day, we give God thanks and praise for you and for your love for his word and your love for Jesus. And if you're visiting in the audience this morning and you're not a member of the Church of Christ, I want you to know that I don't take myself seriously, but I most certainly take God and his word seriously. And I'm sure these brothers and sisters will say the same. But we sincerely thank you for making the time to be with us this morning to talk about our condition before God and to talk about our families and what we're going to do to make absolutely certain that when it is all said and done, that more is done than said in our lives and that our children will love our Heavenly Father in such a way that they will live for him until their head presses a dying pillow. And so the legacy will go until God judges this world in righteousness and we're ushered into his eternal presence because we were serious about obeying his gospel and living for him. When I was stationed in the Philippines, we used to knock doors all the time. And I remember knocking on a man's door one afternoon and I knocked on the door and I said, sir, do you know Jesus? He said, well, tell me about him. And so I stood on that man's porch and told him about Jesus. How he came and tabernacled in this world. How he took on the form of flesh and did all of those things that you know that your Bible teaches how he was a servant to others, how he gave of himself. And you know what that man told me? He said, I know Jesus because he lives right down the road. You said he serves people. You said he helps people. He lives right down the road. And he directed me to a home of a denominational preacher. Now, I don't know about you, but that touched me very, very deeply. If someone were to knock on your door and ask if you know Jesus, what kind of response would you give? More importantly, the people that live in our neighborhoods or the people who know us, would they say, yes, I know Jesus because I've seen Jesus living in that person's life? Jesus is their Lord. Man, I know who Jesus is because of them. Wouldn't it be nice if somebody could say something like that about us. And so my question to you this morning, Del Rada, is does God live at your house? If I were to ask your children, they would tell me. You got to love kids, man. <laughs> I, you know, I, sometimes we can live with them, sometimes we can live without them, but I'm telling you, they'll tell us the truth, won't they? We're going to be looking at a passage of scripture that you're very familiar with. It's from Luke chapter 15. And while you're turning to Luke chapter 15, I just want to set the table to tell you about the great city that my wife and I live in, the city of Jacksonville, Florida. Jacksonville, Florida has the dubious distinction of being the murder capital of the state of Florida. We had more than 260 murders last year. We put Miami to shame. 
the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office has gained such a reputation in our city that JSO does not now stand for Jacksonville Sheriff's, Sheriff's Office, it now stands for Just Shot One. Imagine if that was your daughter or your son. My wife and I live in a city where we are now number one, according to the Florida Tourism Board, where homosexuals feel the most safe and feel the most comfortable where they can come and raise their families. Jacksonville, Florida is now number one in African-American males. Ages 19 to 25, we're dying from HIV AIDS. Number one in Florida. In Duval County, three out of four teenage girls have contracted at least one sexually transmitted disease from chlamydia, and it goes downhill from there. Where three out of four contracted marriages in Duval County end up in divorce. And someone has the audacity to ask me why I'm serious about families. Someone has the nerve to ask me why I'm so concerned about the relationship that I have with my wife and my son. That's why. And so many of you are sitting here saying, Whew, I'm glad I don't live in Jacksonville. I'm glad I live in Montgomery. You have your own crosses to bear in Montgomery. Some of you don't even know what those crosses are, but I would encourage you to find out what your statistics are. They may not be as alarming as Jacksonville, but brothers and sisters, they're just as worse. And so when I ask you this morning, does God live at your house? This is not a rhetorical question. This is a question that you and I must wrestle with and we must answer. Now, I promised my wife I wasn't going to do a lot of yelling because kids don't like it when you yell. So those of you who are offended by yelling, I'm raising my voice because I'm convicted. And I'm concerned. I'm sorry, I'm concerned. <laughs> I told you this morning that I'm not losing my wife. And I'm not losing my son, and I'm not losing my daughter-in-law, and my mother, or anybody else that's in my purview of concern. And I just pray that God will strengthen me as he strengthened your brother this morning. I hope that you were listening to what he said. Did y'all hear what he said? Do like this, because I know you're not going to say amen. amen. See, it takes a man to stand up and say what he said. That's what we need in our churches. If we're not bearing the cross, if Jesus is not Lord, then our brothers and sisters need to know about it so we can pray for each other. I'm so sick and tired of people in the church walking around and preening as if they have a halo over their head and they've never sinned. Figure the odds on that. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Thank God we're part of a fellowship where we can ask brothers and sisters to pray with us and pray for us whenever it's necessary. I was out a couple of months ago and had extended the Lord's invitation and we were down serving all of these people and going outside the door. One lady came up to me and she said, I'm going to tell you something. I said, ma'am, you go ahead. You've already started. I've been in the church for 60 years, and I've never had it. I've never repented. I've never responded. I said, and you're proud of that? How in the world could you be under the sound of God's word for that many years and not ask your brothers and sisters to pray for you? Would you think you're too good for that? Well, you know, you were stepping all over my toes. I said, no, ma'am, I'm a gospel preacher. God's word hits higher than that. If something was stepping on your toes, it may have been bunions or whatever, but it wasn't God's word. God's word doesn't shoot that low. He shoots for the heart. And when God's word cuts us, there's only one thing to do, and that is to come home to him. That's to respond to him. 
That's to let him know that nothing and no one is going to separate you from his love and separate you from your family that you've been called to protect. That's what it's all about. I love this building. I love how I just clapped my hands and it just echoed all through the... Well, this is awesome. This is great. I went back to study... Luke chapter 15, because I had to ask myself some of the rudimentary questions that you and I should ask ourselves as we not only familiarize ourselves with our relationship with God, but we bask in that relationship. What is God like? What is is up with his character? And when you ask yourself, will God run? Yes, he will. Will God kneel? Will God serve? Yes, he will. Will God die? Yes. Will God love even when people around him show no respect at all? Yes. I love Luke 15. There are so many spiritual nuggets in here from which you and I can benefit. And all I want to do is just read some of this passage into your hearing and then make some citations and we will extend heaven's invitation to all. We'd like to read just a little bit uh, at the top there at uh, Luke chapter 15 and then uh, we're going to transition down to verse 11. But look with me at verse number 1 in Luke chapter 15. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. I'd like to have about an hour and a half just to talk about that verse. You see, I love that verse because it teaches me that Jesus drew the people that nobody else wanted to be with and nobody else wanted to be around. He had that kind of magnetism. All of the tax collectors and the sinners, the outcasts, those were the people who were drawn to Christ. Now, who's drawn to you when you share your message? I don't know how it is in Montgomery, but in Jacksonville, they have what they call beautiful people. You know, it's the way they dress. It's the way they articulate. It's the letters behind their name. It's who they hang out with, the beautiful people. Jesus wasn't interested in the beautiful people, y'all. Jesus was interested in people who wanted to know the truth about themselves and how to get out of the hole they were in. Thank God that they drew near to listen to him. Then in verse 2, both the Pharisees and the scribes begin to grumble saying, this man. See, that shows the contempt and the disrespect that they had for Jesus. They couldn't even call him Lord. This man. See, you can be contemptible and a spiritual-minded person can pick up on it. Those, those young people in the audience this morning who are virgins, you need to hold your head up when you go to school. I know what people say about you. Oh, you're goody-two-shoes. You ought to tell them, I'm not only goody-two-shoes, I'm goody-all-shoes. That's what you ought to tell them. And that you will not apologize on your wedding night. I'm so sick and tired of you being condescended to and picked at and make fun of because you're trying to live a pure life. Thank God you're trying to live a pure life. Hold your head up. I don't care if they do call you a nerd. They may call you a nerd today. Ten years from now, they'll be calling you boss. Stick with God. And ladies, I know your little biological clock is ticking, and you just think you need a man. You better wait on God. You wait on the Lord. Well, Brother Davis, I'm 30 years old, and I'm getting old. Well, I know you're getting old, but wait on the Lord. Don't you pick some bad apple out there who wants to use you as a trophy wife? That's what you do with Christian women. You use them. You stand out. Wait for God's man. Wait for him. 
Brothers, you wait. You wait for the sister in Christ. Listen to me. Wait for them. I'm telling you what I know. I not only married a Christian woman, I married a smart one. You hear me? It makes all the difference in the world. This man receives sinners and eats with them. That contempt and that disrespect only showed me what kind of people they were, not who Jesus was. So he told them this parable. See, you have to love Jesus. He was not only a storyteller, he was the master storyteller. And he told the story predicated on their ungodly attitude and where they were, these messages were for them. I love this. Now please run your finger down to verse 11. And he said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. He basically said, Daddy, I wish you were dead. That's what he said. I told you this morning that my son, when he was a teenager, he went through waters, and the only way that I can explain it is that he was temporarily insane. There are times when teenagers do things. They, they drive too fast and they, they, they drive 85 miles an hour in a 25 mile per hour zone. And you look at them and ask, why did you do that? And you know what they say? I don't know. You tell them to come home at midnight. They stroll in at one o'clock because they think they can come home any time they want. And when you ask them, why are you late? I don't know. I'm telling you, it's temporary insanity. That's the only way I can explain it. What would put in the heart of a child to look at his father and say, I wish you were dead. I want mine and I want it now. Aren't you glad we don't have kids like that in the church today? Say amen when you can. <laughs> father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. What a godly father he is. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went to Jacksonville. I'm sorry, went on a journey <laughs> into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. And when he had spent everything, he found out who his real friends were, didn't he? Well, I love to see those guys out on the campus when they have two pocketfuls of money and girls are just hanging off of them. You know, you just can't even, you can't even get it. They're just everywhere. And as soon as the money runs out, all of a sudden he's there all by himself. Dean Davis, I need $2 so I can buy me some sardines. I said, son, don't eat sardines. You know, buy some potted meat, you know, buy something else, but don't get into sardines. I mean, you don't have any friends as it is. You buy sardines, then you're going to need breath mints, then you're going to need to be able to wash. Yeah, you, you, no, get something else. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country. See, they even had recessions back then. And he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. Now, when you read the Bible, you should read it with an oriental mind. I mean, you actually should put yourself in this environment, because if you don't, you're going to miss a blessing. Here is a Jewish kid who was raised in a great environment with a great family. And now all of a sudden he's rock bottom and he's actually feeding the most detestable animal to people in his culture. You can't get any worse than that. This is a horrible situation. And when you close your eyes and you inhale, you should be able to smell the swine. And as you take your hand and you hold that carob root, which is probably about as hard as a plank, I'm sure he probably thought, if I just bite this thing off, can I eat it? That old boy was in bad shape. 
And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, see, here's a guy that's, that comes to his senses, which meant that he was out of his mind. And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men uh, have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger? I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion for him, ran and embraced him and kissed him. I know many parents across this country who still have prodigals who haven't come back home. And the real mother and the real father continues to pray that their child will come to their senses. There was a young man who lived in Ireland. He had obeyed the gospel of Jesus and he fell away. And he was going to those pubs and acting just like the people in the pubs. Do y'all hear me? Talking like them, drinking like them, behaving like them. And his mother was home praying. Well, I guess one evening at about 11.30, it dawned on her that she was doing her son a great disservice. So she went down to the pub where he was. There he was sitting on the stool, just, you know, kind of knocking him back. So his mom sat on the stool and he said, Mom, what are you, Mom, what are you doing here? She said, I just want you to know that for several months I've been praying and asking God to protect you and to care for you and let you get home and, and all of those kinds of things. I just came here to tell you tonight that I'm not praying that anymore. I am praying that God will get you dead or alive. Have a good evening. And she left that old boy on the stool. Two months later, he came back home to Jesus. You see, brothers and sisters, there comes a time when you and I have to confront even members of our own family. If you're not living circumspect, they need to know the truth. Now, I didn't say be disrespectful. I didn't say take the Bible and, and cut them off at the knees. I didn't say that. But what I am saying is that they need to be reminded that Jesus is no one to play with. The blood that he shed on the cross is sacred. You can't drag him up and down the streets of Montgomery or Jacksonville or anywhere else. We have some members in Jacksonville who are part of our congregation. You miss one of our assemblies, somebody's going to call you. It's just the way it is. Some of our members have decided that, you know, you, you, you use that technology where you make your phone say, we're not accepting calls at this time. You can do all kinds of things to keep people away from you. Every once in a while, one of our wayward members will get on the phone and really start talking like they don't know who the Lord is. But we're going to call. And if calling doesn't work, then we're going to come to try to find out what's going on. That's our responsibility, isn't it? You can't treat Jesus just any old way, can you? Can you? Do like this, because I know you won't say anything. Just do like this. You can't treat Jesus any old way. Hardest conversation I had in my life was with my own mother about something like this. My mom was a chain smoker. You hear me? One after the other. And when I came home from Turkey, all the way, that seven-hour flight, I asked God to give me the right words to talk to my mom so that I wouldn't show disrespect to her, but I would show honor to God. And that evening at dinner, I said, Mom, you know, I thought about you all the way home. I have a question for you. She said, what's the question? I said, when you get to heaven... 
And you're standing before God in all of that righteousness and arrobed in, you know, arrayed in white. Where are you going to put your cigarettes? What? I said, Mom, you, you heard what I said. I want to know where you're going to put those nasty, smelly cigarettes and all of those ashes. What are you going to do with that? My mom didn't talk to me for three weeks. But she quit smoking. Because she knew I was telling her the truth. It doesn't matter who it is, brothers and sisters. If you and I are not honoring Jesus through our actions and our behavior and our ministry, we need to have a conversation. Wouldn't you want someone to come talk to you? Wouldn't you want someone to say something to you if they saw some attitude or some behavior that wasn't honoring God, that they loved you enough and pulled you aside to talk to you? Wouldn't you appreciate that? Verse 21. And the son said to his father, I have sinned against heaven And in your sight, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf, kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing, and he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. See, I knew right there he was already on the wrong foot. If you have to ask somebody else what's going on in your own house, you got trouble. You should know what's going on in your own house. But he became angry. I'm sorry, verse 27. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. Now, I know you guys will remember that the father had divided the inheritance between them. I know y'all remember that. But he answered and said to his father, look, for so many years I've been serving you and I've never neglected a command of yours and yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. And when this son of yours came who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, I've always wondered how he knew that. You killed the fatted calf for him. He said to him, son, you've always been with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. When you do a comparative analysis of the youngest youngest son to the elder brother, the youngest son confesses without excuses. The older brother boasts with no confession. The younger son, the guy who left, the prodigal son, had an issue with wrong-headedness, had an issue with wastefulness, and then found a point of discovery where he was prodigal in body, but part of his heart was always home. The older brother, bless his heart, he minded the store. I know too many people in the church like this, don't you? I mean, they actually think that just because they sit on the pew... And they come to the service every time the doors are opened, that that is a spiritual metric that can be used to talk about their spirituality. That does not measure spirituality, brothers and sisters. Just like sitting in a hen house won't make you a chicken, sitting in the church building will not make you a Christian. And I know too many people who like to ride the pine. They sit there. Sometimes they sing. Most of the time they don't. Most of the time they don't bring a Bible because they have their arms folded because you're supposed to impress them. And they actually come to the assembly without a Bible. And their children are making value judgments as they watch their mother and their father leave the house to go to the assembly without their fishing pole. 
They never see them write anything down. They never see them make an annotation on the side of the page. They never hear over lunch, you know, I need to pray about this. They don't hear those things. But they just kind of sit there and, okay, so I went to church and let me, let me check that off. I think there will be some people sadly disappointed on the judgment day when they find out that Jesus was looking for more than folks who came to sit on the pew. What do you think? We have some friends in Jacksonville who have gone to our assembly, and, and they say, you know, Bill, we really would like to continue to go to the assembly with you, but y'all don't even have enough money to pay for a piano. I said, well, it's not the fact that we don't have enough money to pay for a piano, because if we could find it in the Bible, we'd have three or four. But since we can't find the authorization from God's word, that is not how we worship God. And so you need to go back and talk to your pastor or wherever else you got it from and ask them to give you book, chapter, and verse for why you do it. You know, they've never come back with the book, chapter, and verse. And I believe, brothers and sisters, it's because the assembly has turned into an entertainment center. People are supposed to come to church, and they're supposed to be entertained. And when they're not entertained, they leave and say, oh, the sermon wasn't all that good today. Didn't taste all that good today. It's not what it's about. There's only one spectator here, and that's God Almighty. Thank God you have a song leader a few moments ago who knows what he's doing. Y'all hear me? I was thinking about how I could hit him in the head and take him back with us. Man, that's wonderful. And the way these sisters sung this morning, I, it just, I had to sit there on the seat because if I had jumped up and shouted hallelujah, y'all would have put me out. <laughs> See there? There we go. <laughs> Get that man to raise his hand, you know. Woo, boy, sometimes we think it's a sin to grin. Bless our hearts. We, we, just, we just struggle, don't we? Oh, Brother Davis, I really enjoyed your message. I almost said amen. I almost did. I said, you almost did, didn't you? You know. I know people do their affirmations in different ways. I know you don't have to say amen, so don't sit here and like, well, don't y'all ever have that guy back again. I don't like, that's not the point. The point is, is if you can't enjoy yourself in the house of God, you're not going to be happy in heaven. And thank God we'll be able to sing throughout ceaseless ages without the aid of an, a, a musical accompaniment. When you sung this morning, I'm here to tell you, that was awesome! You just basically raised this roof another level. And God is worthy to be praised. You hear me? He is worthy to be praised. He should always receive our best. And I'm telling you, that song service this morning was off the chain. I'm telling you, it was good. Okay, I'll go on. Right? I guess I'll skip some of these points and get right down to the meat, and then we'll extend the Lord's invitation. This short parable and other passages like it have helped me to see that if God lives at my house and if God lives at your house, there will be three essential ingredients. So let me shoot this first one past you. There must be great love. There must be great love. Let me put a little flesh and blood on this for you. We're talking about love that is others-centered. And a love that is indiscriminate. A love that includes and not excludes. A love that reaches and does not repel. Look with me, please, in John chapter 13, and I'll show you what I'm talking about. In John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus gave the world a prerogative. In John chapter 13, beginning at verse 34, the record says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another 
even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. When visitors walk through that door, they know what's on the sign. They know the sign says Delrada Church of Christ. They know that. But when they walk through that door, Delrada, they're watching and they're looking and they're observing you. That's what happens when they come to our services at Arlington. And when they look around and they, and they see all of these cultures and they see all of us loving and hugging on each other, the first thing they think is, am I in the right place? And as they observe us and as they open their Bible and they hear what is being taught and they watch how we live our lives, that is what is going to draw them to the master. And the same thing is going to happen here. But if they walk through those doors and they say, oh, that's the CEO of Company X and Oh, and that's the lady who's the CEO of Company Y, and she never smiles, and she looked like she's been baptized in vinegar and raised on a sour pickle. And, and there's a guy who always beats his wife, and he curses every time he comes in the office. And, and those teenagers there, I've seen them huffing and doing all kinds of stuff. Somebody get me out of here. What are they going to say? That's why Jesus gave the world the prerogative to judge us and tell me they will do it. They are watching us. Now, I wrestle within my heart to decide if I want to tell y'all what I'm about to tell you, but I, I think I will because I've grown close to some of you. This makes the fourth time I've come to Montgomery. The first time I came to your great city, I was stationed in Pensacola. Used to lead a Bible study every Tuesday evening and met a young man from Nashville, Tennessee, who actually did more in our Tuesday evening Bible class than anyone I'd ever seen. He not only wrote down the notes, brothers and sisters, he went back and he started investigating and became convicted that he needed to be a New Testament Christian. He said, Bill, before I become a Christian, you got to promise me to go to Nashville, talk to my parents, talk to my pastor, talk to our director of education and talk to our director of music. If you will do that, then I'll become a Christian. I said, buddy, let's go. See, I had money back in those days. You know, I said, hey, get in the car, let's go. So took four of my friends, took Ricky. We, got, we, we drive up to Nashville. We have a study of about eight hours. At the conclusion of that study, the director of music said, I, I can't obey this, I'll lose my job. I know that this is what the Bible says, but I, I, man, if I do this, what am I going to do? Turned over to Matthew chapter 6, verses 33 and 34. He said, that's not good enough for me. So he got up and walked out. The director of education said, yes, this, there is one church. This is the church. I do understand that there is a distinctive pattern in New Testament Christianity, but I'm not going to obey it. Ricky's parents said, I know that's what it says. Not for me. And the preacher wouldn't even come. He called over and said, you're nothing but a cult leader. So we left Nashville early Sunday morning and came through your fair city, Montgomery, just in time for the evening assembly. I'm not even going to tell you which congregation we stopped at. We whipped into the parking lot. All six of us walked through the back door, plopped down in the seat, got my book open, ready to sing. And a little guy came over and touched me. I know it had to have been a deacon. Came over and touched me on the shoulder. He said, hey, I need to talk to you. I said, the assembly's just about to start, man. You know, why don't you talk to me after the assembly? No, that's just it. I need to talk to you right now. Now, all of the people on the pew, don't ask me why they picked me out. I don't know. Do I have kick me on my forehead? I don't know. He says, no, I need to talk to you. I said, what is it? He said, you're in the wrong place. I said, what is it? Was somebody paid for the seat? I mean, I, what? I, what, what do you mean? I'm, I'm sitting too close to the outside. I'm sitting, too, what, do I need to move? He says, no, 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 no. You and your friends have to go. Well, now <clears throat> I'm really trying to keep myself under control, okay? Normally I can, I, I can do that. I said, 
where am I supposed to go? He says, well, there's a, there's a church, and you know the rest of this, you know, there's a church right across the track where y'all need to go. And I looked on the pew, you know, my four other friends, I'm thinking, what are they, these people look like my brother, are you kidding? I mean, look at us. So he stood there, and the song leader, who had his hymnal, was waiting. So I closed my Bible, put the songbook back in the rack, and I said, you know what? You're exactly right, because I was looking for the New Testament church, and obviously, this is not it. So we marched out, got in my car, drove all the way to Pensacola. And all the way to Pensacola, I said, Father, would you please not allow Ricky to change his mind about becoming a Christian because of the foolishness that he just saw? I'm getting ready to go out to the base. And Rick said, what are you doing? I said, I'm taking you back to the base. He said, no, 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 no. You're going to take me to Gateway because I am going to become a Christian tonight. Bill, I can't help it that there are people in the world who don't take God seriously and take his word seriously. That happened in Montgomery. I don't live in Montgomery. And we immersed Ricky Gooch into Jesus that night. I stopped at the congregation here in Montgomery because I had read literature that the preacher had put out. It was all over the brotherhood. The guy was a scholar. But when we walked through the door, somehow or another, the memo about John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, hadn't been inculcated. Now, they will have to answer to God for that Sunday. You hear me? I'll have to answer to God for the way that I have treated people and for the way that I have handled God's word. But I'm telling you this morning, by the authority of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, if you are not serious about God, if you are wrestling with relationships or you have issues with color or whatever, you better find some good brother or some good sister and get that worked out. Or you will not see God's face in peace. Now, I brought my own amens on that one. And you can sit here and look at me like I've lost my mind if, I, if, uh, if you want to, but I'm telling you the God's honest truth. I'm telling you that the major issue that the evil one is using to separate people is color, and he's still doing it. And some of us have played right into that trap. In God's garden, Jesus' blood cleanses everybody who wants to obey his gospel. And anybody who obeys Jesus' gospel is welcome in his church. That's why I'm so grateful as I look out this morning that I don't see everybody in here that looks like me. I told my wife several years ago, now this is for me, but I will never go to a church where everybody looks like me from now to the time I leave this world. You hear me? I'm not going to do it. I want to be a part of a church where I can bring my friends and they can look around and they can see God's garden at work. That's where I want to assemble. There must be great love. This passage of Scripture is a passage of Scripture that can save a person's soul if they apply the truths found therein. Thank God that this is in the Bible. Thank God that Jesus gave people who are looking for truth an opportunity to see it lived out in our lives. Ooh, boy. There must not only be great love, there must be great faith. I know you guys have read Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 and verse 6. I know that you've read that before. But the thing that I want to share with you uh, just for a few moments is the fact that this faith that you and I have in Jesus must not only take us to Mount Moriah in Genesis chapter 22, and y'all remember what happened in Genesis chapter 22, where Jehovah had the conversation with Abraham, and he said, I want you to offer your son as a burnt offering. Those of you who have studied the Levitical sacrificial system know that the burnt offering was the only offering whereby the one who was offering the sacrifice had not broken their relationship with God Almighty. Those words are very, very powerful. 
And God was saying, I want a burnt offering, Abraham. I want you to show me definitively that there is nothing and no one that you will keep from me. And you know the rest of that story. Well, brothers and sisters, I want to tell you this morning that you and I have our own Mount Moriahs to go to. I mentioned this last week in our congregation, that there are some people who have actually idolized their children. Did you know that? There are some people who actually have their children on a pedestal higher than God Almighty. There are some people who have their jobs on the shrine in their lives, and they bow down to that shrine. They'll do anything for their job, but if the elders need them to do anything, can't find them. And so what I'm saying to you this morning is you and I have to be very, very careful with, with regard to this notion of faith. Not only going to Mount Moriah, but there may come a time when we will actually have to sacrifice ourselves when we may not want to for the good of someone else. But you and I would never be able to do that if we don't have the appropriate faith and the appropriate trust in God to serve him. We'll also need a faith that will step outside the boat with Peter. Have y'all been there before? When you really didn't know what was coming next, all you knew was that you wanted to keep your hand in God's and you stepped outside of the boat and he sustained you because he is God Almighty. When you've come to the edge of all of the light that you know, and you're about to step off into the darkness of the unknown, one of two things will happen. There will either be something solid underfoot upon which to stand, or you will be taught to fly. And I don't know if you've been there before, but I'm here to tell you, Jesus will give you wings. You put your trust and confidence in him, and he'll show you something. I know people who are members of the Lord's church who had to turn their back on their own family, don't you? People who have been threatened, if you go down to that church and, and, and you become a member of that church, then I'm going to cut you off. Well, you may have to make a decision. Because I'm here to tell you, there is nothing and no one worth your soul. Do you all hear me? Church must have great love, great faith, and then there must also be great Forgiveness. When you think about that passage that you and I just read in Luke chapter 15, there is a, there's a separate version of that parable that reads, as the prodigal son was coming home, that his father ran and closed the door, and the kid was beating on the door. Father, father, let me in. No, go away. See, that's what happens to the uninspired versions. Aren't you grateful that that father had the love of God pulsating in his heart? Aren't you grateful that that father understood the importance of forgiveness? If you could imagine him running down the street, running toward his own son in tattered rags and no shoes and smelling like a pig... And he didn't stop him and say, go take a bath and we'll hug later. He hugged him right there before God and everyone else and kissed him. Put some sandals on his feet. Put a robe on him. Put the ring on him. My son was lost and is now found. Here's my question to you this morning, Delreda. Does God live at your house? Because if God lives at your house, that means he has made his abode in your heart. And as we come to the most important portion of our message to you this morning, as we prepare to extend heaven's invitation to you, I ask that you stand before the cross, you have your Bible open, 
you take a real hard look at your relationship and your condition before God this morning and you ask yourself, am I saved? Have I been living in a way that brings glory and honor to God Almighty? Fathers, let me just say a quick word to you before, and I'm going to ask our song leader to change our song of invitation to, I have decided to follow Jesus. I think every time that I get a chance to preach from now until the time I die, I'm going to ask that we sing, I've decided to follow Jesus. It's the most important decision that any of us will ever make on this side of eternity. Guys, I've got to talk to you, first of all, because I'm one. Did you know that the average father spends 37 seconds with his child in these United States of America? The only, the only civilized nation that's worse than that is England. I didn't say mothers, I said fathers. Fathers who must spend quality time with their children, not pat them on the head, not just, you know, pull the cover up over them when it's time to go to bed. I mean quality time with them every day. 37 seconds. I don't even have, I don't even have a response to that other than God help me. And God help those of us who are steering our families to heaven. We must do better than that, Amen. So brothers, if you're here this morning and God has entrusted you with the sacred task of steering your wife and your children to heaven, as you take a look at your walk and your stewardship with God this morning, if it's not what it should be, then I want you to join me on the front row. I've already asked God to forgive me. That's why I can talk like this, okay? I'm not condescending and talking down to anybody in this building. I'm already convicted. I've already told you I'm not losing my wife and I'm not losing my son. The only way that I'll be able to make it is to keep myself pure and honest before God. But brothers, I'm troubled this morning. I think it's time that you and I turned off ESPN. Yes, I did say that. It's time we turned it off. And when we have dinner with our wives and our children, they get our undivided attention, not a piece of our attention. You may be sitting here saying, who do you think you're talking to? I have dinner with my family every night. I know you're not talking to me. Good for you. But there are others of us who must do better. Our wives need to know that they're the queens of our heart, not some afterthought. That we love them and that we cherish them and the way that we've treated them is the same way that Jesus treats the church. Is that how you're treating your wife today? Because if I were to ask them, they'd tell me. Their eyes would tell me. I know fathers are always, be we're always being beat up on. We're the brunt of jokes. We're the Homer Simpsons of the world. And whoever came up with that, I'd like to have about five minutes in private to talk to them about the devastation that they've done to godly fathers. Guys, I'm, I'm praying for you and I'm pulling for you. But I do know this, we must do better. Sisters, if you're sitting here on this row and you know you haven't been supporting your husband, you need to join me on this row too. Some brothers will never be elders because of you. Oh, I don't mean the women here in Montgomery, but I do know some women in Jacksonville, their husbands will never be elders because of the way they act. Now, I know y'all have never, I know y'all will find this hard to believe in the church, but it happens. Women who lord it over their husbands and condescend, never having anything positive to say about their husband. Well, ma'am, does he come home? Yeah, he comes home, but the rascal comes home five minutes late. Aren't you grateful that he's in love with you? Yeah, but he doesn't love me the way I think he ought to. Is there anything positive that you can say? Well, I, I, we need to cut off this conversation. They're out there. Go to the cross and tell Jesus that you believe that that's the best way to interact with your husband. He'll show you differently. I'm just begging you this morning to allow this invitation to be a line of demarcation, a line that you will cross and never go back, a line that you will cross and say the die has now been cast.
I want to be more godly for my family. I want my wife to love and cherish me because she'll know that she's the queen of my heart. I want her to be saved. I'm going to start watching what she study uh, in the scriptures. I'm going to start encouraging her and affirming her more because it's my responsibility. Teenagers, young professionals, those of you who may now be out on your own, as you look back, if you've been disrespectful to your parents, you should have already been up here. If your parents have to tell you to do something more than once, you need to come up here and sit on this row and ask God to forgive you. You only get one mother, and you only get one father. Thank God if you have them this morning. If you haven't told them today that you love them, you need to tell them before the sun goes down. Thank God they're still in your life and that they love Jesus and want to honor him. I'm interested today in revival. How about you? I'm sick and tired of people just standing and, well, you know, if you want to come, just come. This may be the last time that you get to show Jesus that you're serious about your relationship with him. This may be the last time I'm in Montgomery, so I'm going to make the best of it. I'm not going to stand before God on the day of judgment. And he asked me, so Bill, why were you afraid to really express, to really encourage those people to obey me? Were you intimidated? No, Father, I wasn't intimidated. There's a lot of chocolate thunder here. I was not intimidated. Well, then why didn't you beg them to come to me? Why did you just give them that lip service? Why didn't you show them some passion? Well, you know, Lord, they kept looking at their watches, and they kept yawning, and they kept folding their arms, and, and some of you have been doing that all morning. I'm, I'm just grateful that I won't have to respond and answer for you. I mean that. This eldership and these preachers invited me here to be helpful. That's the only reason why I'm here. And I'm just telling you that our families are in trouble because some of us have not taken God seriously. So if you want revival to start in your family this morning, you make your way down to this front pew. You let these great elders pray for you. You let them take your name to God's throne in prayer, and you watch the changes that occur. And for every person that responds today, I'm going to ask the elders to allow me to take your name back to Jacksonville, and I'm going to pray for you for the next 30 days. Because I'm here to tell you, brothers and sisters, we better stop playing games with God. And somebody says, well, I don't play games with God. Good for you. Good for you. If you're not praying for your elders every day, you're late. If you're not praying for your brothers and sisters every day, we're already late. Because the evil one wants to divide and conquer. I appreciate your kind attention to the word. And if I have not demonstrated to you already how serious I am about families, then I need to pack up my stuff and go home. Because I'm not losing my wife. I'm not losing my son. I'm going to do everything that I can to make sure that they stand before God justified. As our good brother gets ready to leave this song of invitation, you just know that as you stand there, the evil one does not want you to move. The evil one wants you to stand there and give you some kind of line about, you know, that guy is just a bunch of bunk, you know, just sing two or three verses and then sit down so we can go eat some chicken. That's what he's interested in. And I'm telling you, the most important thing that is about to happen is a decision that you will make about your soul's salvation. If you're not a member of the Lord's church and you want to study further, I'll be more than happy to open up my Bible with you and reason with you. I'm not going to argue with you, but I do want to reason with you. I will be able to show you in the scripture the distinctive pattern in New Testament Christianity. You and I must be willing to hear the gospel. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. We must be willing to believe that word. This is beyond a mental assent. It is an, an act that we commit where we believe it and we're going to do something about it. It is faith conjoined with obedience. Then I must be willing to repent of my sin that I'm going to stop talking the way that I've been talking. I'm going to stop living the way that I've been living. I'm going to stop thinking the way that I've been thinking. I'm going to start making kingdom decisions in my life. That's what I'm going to do. 
then I must be willing to confess that Jesus is Lord. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Then you must be willing to be buried in water for the forgiveness of your sin. Acts chapter 2 at verse 38. I know what people are saying outside this city. You know what they're saying. I don't think I have to be baptized to be saved. Nobody asked you what you thought. Nobody asked you. Show me in the Bible. There is so much water in the plan that if I had the strength, I could wring my Bible and water would come out. Ten examples in the book of Acts. Every one of them ended in immersion. Every one of them. And from T.D. Jakes to whoever else is out there, I'll tell them to their face, stop lying to people. It does matter what you believe. And it does matter where you go to church. Jesus is coming back for his church, brothers and sisters, and I want to be in it. Now, you can do whatever you want to in your church. I want to be a part of Jesus' church. I thank you so much for letting me say this. Thank you for listening as God tries to enter your heart, as he tries to get your attention and mind. But I'm just begging you this morning, if you need to respond to the Lord, then you come to him while together we stand and sing.